always be recording, always prepare content. You've just gotten some work done from New Zealand. Please shutting the door. Sorry, what? So New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So New Zealand. So um so I have uh I have New Zealand content to mm-hmm. go through, get some prints. When's that backdated for? from? Is that February? October January? last year when I shot a wedding there last year. Oh beautiful. Oh well so, well be well in the before times. Oh yeah, the big the big before time. So so I shot I shot um this lake and there's this photo of a duck. I mean, the duck is fucking the only thing on this lake, and mm. the lake is completely placid. Mm. Um, and there's a great shot of just just a single frame, yeah, of with my 105 mil lens. So you know, and the D850 is at full. I I usually shoot weddings at medium raw, so it's only it's only the same. It's about the same resolution as my old D750. Yep. So like look a, look at 25. you trying to look at you trying to turn this into Team Deacons. Look at you getting technical. Yeah, Team Deacons, twenty five megapixel because this is you know yeah twenty five. I mean twenty five megapixel for most things is is enough, mm. right? It's enough. It's fine, you know. And then maybe for a portrait session, I'll crank up the open, but usually it's not. And then for commercial work or like I'm shooting landscape or whatever, mm. yeah, I'll, I'll change it back to that. I call I have a per, I have a setting. It's called studio and or event. I see. So I put it back to the studio setting, and the studio setting set at you the keep full it on res, studio. Right? Keep it on studio, and so the studios they're sitting at the big forty six point whatever it is megapixel full setting. Mm. Um, this is a sixteen image stitch at full res. Wow. Yeah, with the one hundred five mil lens, which is one of the sharpest lenses Nikon's ever made. Whew. Um. So this thing's fucking 40,000 pixels on the longest edge. Very understandably <laughs> two gigs then. <laughs> it's pretty big, yeah. Um, so when you zoom in, like, it's pretty, yeah, it's huge. Um, mm. um, so, uh, yeah, good times. Good Welcome times. to uh, down, down, wedding photos are down. <laughs> They're so down right now. Oh, man. Oh, um, boy. I actually filmed a wedding on the weekend, but other than that, I've been doing wow. absolutely nothing. <laughs> what was it like? What was it like being back in the zone? Uh, it was nice, and it was a different zone. Like, it was filming, not shooting. Oh, wow. Not, oh, video. Filming. Oh, video. film, video. you might even say. Film, film, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a cinematographer now, Dom. Wow. that's We only get more official by the day. Yeah, yeah. It's like Team D, here we come. <laughs> here we come. It's one of those. This is one of those classic memes. Like shoots first wedding. Like calls self cinematographer. Like <laughs> <laughs> call self. Call <laughs> Yep. Call self content. I'm gonna put on a business card. Like I'm the Roger Deacons of weddings. <laughs> you could. If, if has anyone else claimed that? Can you call that? No. You have no, never won no, an Oscar. No, 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 no. I've never. It may take you until you're seventy to win an Oscar. Then you'd really hey, be the. I'm down. I'm down. With is that. there an Oscar's equivalent of, of of wedding photos? Mm. The weddies. Yeah, but no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but, but also, uh, like, yes, but but I don't really deign to. I think care about and whatever. I, I think mean, you just get was, the business cards ready. The Roger Deakins um, of wedding photography. Get the business card. I really, I really found it quite. It was quite hard. I was like being for years, just like sledging off fucking you know videographers like have their tripods everywhere and like all this shit everywhere and like always get in the way and mm. then like then you do it yourself and you're like 
Oh yeah, it's because like it's essential. Because if you miss something, it's even harder to fill that gap with just other random shit. You're like, you've got to absolutely nail it. It's true, um, mind you. It's very all true. the good wedding videographers do it without fucking putting all their tripods everywhere. So whatever. But, hey. Bang bang. I'm talking bang. like no. I'm not saying don't use it. I'm just saying I'm not saying don't use a tripod. You can't even you can't even let us get some beef off. God damn. <laughs> get some innocent wedding. What wedding videographers do we know? <laughs> That are gonna that are gonna take that to heart. That listen, I don't know. We might have <laughs> let's have a look at this photo. Yes, uh, so it's sitting on a book. It's sitting on a copy of the Maltese Falcon by Dashiell Hammett. Really, it could be sitting on a copy of Casino Royale by Ian Fleming. But I didn't it think to be. put two and two together. Still sounds like you need a mic stand because you're like tapping and touching something else. That That's me it... rocking around in a chair. Yeah, I need something. <laughs> it's picking up more. It's the reason now so podcast dad will like do this flex is that you now sound the, the gate because the mic's further away from your face. It has to be, the gain has to be higher. So now you have to, it's picking up more of the ambient rubbish noise in the room. <laughs> I can change the setting. <laughs> Actually, I can't because we're recording. <laughs> you hate to see it. Oh, man. Crazy, crazy. Um, hey, it, I feel like uh, welcome back to Down Down Critics of Down. I feel it's been a while since you've heard from us, lovely boys. It's it's certainly the, the release schedule has been. Uh, how, how, how should we put this? Like not. Like we we we've we've had six month gaps before, and this is certainly no six month. Not pre twenty twenty levels, no, no. But you know, it's it's given everything that's happening at the moment. This is fairly fairly common, fairly. I I reckon it's it's pretty safe to say that we, despite Bond, I, I like Bond apps, but I'd like to I'd like to get back to a fortnightly record because I feel like also, um, I don't know for anyone that listens to this, like I feel like at the moment especially. The it's a funny scale of the amount of time people have to make podcasts mm. is inversely proportional to the amount of time people have to listen. No one's commuting anywhere, so no one's actually listening to podcasts. I had I had my first commute in three <laughs> months last week, and yeah, oh boy, <laughs> was Can that many pod- pod- podcasts did you listen to? I didn't. I I listened to music the whole time. I was reading a book. Yeah, I was but- reading. I was reading. The the book version of Normal People by Sally Rooney, having uh, already oh. seen and loved the television show. And um, did you like the book? Don't. Uh, maybe it's <laughs> maybe it's my extreme youth. Maybe it's my just uh, uh, vigor for life and all things associated. I may have gotten some weird erections on the train reading the book. Oh, and and once it and, and it's there's a point where you go it's too late to do anything about this and you've just got to sort of deal with it. <laughs> Sally Rooney. Oh boy. I'm ve- I was very grateful that train was socially distanced because, oh boy, was I going to need some distance from the people. <laughs> um, <laughs> Emma, Emma said no for us because we saw it was on, on streaming somewhere, mm. the show. What's it on? Is it on? It's Prime on Stan. It's on Stan. It's, on it's Stan. a it's a BBC slash Hulu BBC. team up and um, broadcasting right. on Stan collab. So we saw that and we were like, "Do we watch this?" And she said, "Oh, is that is that based on the book?" Because I read I read that last year in book club, and I was like, "Oh, is that the one that you 
were listening to as an audio book and like I would just like walk in at random mm. times when she was listening to it, like, I don't know, doing her hair or yeah. doing something and, and she would just be like, this fucking book. <laughs> it's I've, like, fucking sort your shit out, guys, because she just described it as like yeah. this really toxic relationship that was always mm. on and off again and they yeah. kept getting back together mm. and the way it was expressed in the book she found extremely frustrating. Yeah. With like, it was just like, just fucking stop seeing each other, you dumb cunts. Uh, and that was basically what she said she felt a lot of the time. Hey, you could make an, having read the book and seen the show, you can make an argument for that. I would, yeah. I, I, it's, I think it's, I think it's a terrific show and a, and a, and a, and a good book. I think I prefer the show because it, it streamlines a lot of things appropriately, but uh, yes, mm. it is about a very. And what, because there's some sweet nudity for you boys. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> and girls. I. Uh, and anyone. Let's get real who, for it. And, and everyone. Let's get real on the podcast here for a second. Um, <laughs> I'm a sucker for very realistic sex scenes in fiction. I must say. I think a lot of people are. Let's be it's, real. Because it's like, like that's, if we're getting real. Let's go real. Because it's like, it's it's it's, it's yeah. very real, and that's what you know. That's is is that not the sex that we all have as real people? Mm-hmm. And so when you buy into these as normal, characters, normal people, in fact, almost. indeed, the normal people of us all. So you know, when you buy into the fiction of these two, I, I, I wouldn't call the people toxic per se, but they're in very toxic environments that they sort of let corrupt them. A okay. fair All bit, right. but yeah. it, oh, uh, th- there's a point in the book uh, where they, they one of their split ups is for the dumbest miscommunication of all time. Uh, it, <sighs> it made me punch pillows while I was watching the show, and when it happened again, even dumber in the book, I I inadvertently just muscle sense first go. I just tossed my book to the other side of the room. <laughs> it was that frustrating. <laughs> It was like you. I think that fucked. I think there was a, just talk it out. <laughs> Fuck. The issue with the audiobook for that with Emma is that she can't just like pick up her phone and no. throw it across the room. <laughs> indeed, indeed. In frustration at the narrative structure of said a, a book is very, <laughs> is a very tangible thing to take some frustration out on. I agree. It's the positive of books. I will say though, oh, having man. watched the show first, very grateful because it made me read the book with all their heavy Irish accents in mind. Which I definitely yeah, well, would not have done if I had read the book first. The audiobook was in a thick, um, not super thick, but pretty yeah, thick Irish. Yeah, because they're from country, Ireland. they're from Sligo, which is like yeah. hardcore country Ireland. It's like, God damn. Um, so, Mr. Small, for those playing at home. Yeah, hey, this is a Bond episode, today. baby. <laughs> Bond. Fitzgerald, Dominic Fitzgerald. Hey, Mr. Small, what's happening? Yeah, um, I wanted to call myself. I, I wanted to call it names is for podcast baby, but it was too many characters. Yeah, um, this has got to be the longest between um, watching viewings for me. Yeah, yeah. In well, terms you, of is it is it how long ago did you watch Live and Let Die? Um, hang on, I'm just going to pour another glass of wine. Sorry, that's a good question to edit point on. Hang on. When you were young and your heart. Was an open book. You used to say, "Live and let live." You know you did. You know you did. You know you did. But in this ever-changing world in which we live in, makes you give in and cry. Do do do. Say, "Live and let die." 
Do you know the relationship between me and this film? Uh, Which is quite pertinent because it is today. Apart from the... Um, Today is my birthday. Guess what? It's also Ringo Starr's birthday. Oh, wow. You share a birthday with the Ringmeister. The Ringmeister, who was in a band with Paul McCartney, (laughs) who who wrote the song for this film. Yep. Who who started another band called Wings, and they Which wasn't as good. But hey, I mean, you know, how can you start? I mean, is... That's not a sledge. Like, if someone was like, hey, you're the wings to the Beatles, you're like, well, yeah. But I fuck with okay, it. Like, I'm, who cares? I'm, like, I'm, whatever, I'm, mate. I've, I, I'm not going to say I know more wings songs than Beatles songs because that would be a blatant lie. But I fuck with wings. I really do. Wings is fine. Sometimes I just, I'm driving on a highway and I, and I go, man, I could listen to Jet. <laughs> Jet, you know. Do you listen to that famous wing song? Don't buy a mic stand. Buy a mic stand, please. Can't. Okay. <laughs> I. Uh, first of all, happy birthday. Love you, podcast dad. Thank Fuck you. you. Thank you. I'm yeah. not even holding the mic. I'm not doing anything with the mic. <laughs> We've put it on a book for goodness' sake. <laughs> you've you've heard it at the start of the show. Come on, bro. Um, speaking of age, I got this great text from a friend of mine today saying, um, I love you, but, uh, my calendar says you're old today. Suck shit. Ow. I also love you. Um, but I love you. <laughs> he said, we're, we're welcome to no longer being in a usefully marketable demographic. Our favorite bands now play at Day on the Green, sponsored by life insurance companies. I'm oh. like, no, that, that, that's not true. Get fucked. Get they real. This photo of a Day on the Green sponsored by Amy and Sun Super Jeez. with headliners UMI, something for Kate, Spiderbait, Jebediah. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, it's true. It's, it's, it's the cycle. It's going to happen. It's so true. I'm, I'm, it's going to happen. One day it's going to happen to you, baby. I know. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be sitting in, 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 in my, I'm not going to be able to retire young i'm going to be old in a rocking chair with another friend of mine going oh i reckon mixtape uzi was better than album little uzi vert and we'll go yeah wasn't as good as mixtape playboy cardi and i'm like yeah you're right sonny it's gonna happen Uh, but it's okay it's for the kids bro it's for the kids um that was a fun Live and Let point. Die. He just went straight in. Live and Let Die. This, this may be the, the least, point. this may be the most preamble we've done for a Bond so far. Like, normally with the Bonds, we're pretty thematically coherent, but this is... Live and Let Die. Yeah. Well, because there's no precedence. No, it's true. There's no precedence. It's a new era, this. This baby. Fresh. Um, that uh, That never happened to the other fella, but not but not that fella. Not that fella um, either. And he, Yeah, I guess you answer your question... Um, that you asked before I went to get uh, a fresh glass of wine mm. as it is my birthday and I will enjoy the pleasantries on Tuesday. Happy um, birthday to you. We can sing that song thank now you. we can't get copyright claim now that it's a uh, public domain. Yeah. <laughs> it is public domain. So that you said, when did I watch this? And I reckon, yes. so I remember I watched Diamonds Are Forever on the Adelaide trip, which was March. So I reckon I watched this in late March. Yep. Again, maybe I'm early fun. April, but it was probably late March. Yeah, that must have set a bad tone for the Adelaide trip. Watching Diamonds Are Forever on the plane too. No, it was on. It was it was late at the hotel, or I was staying at a, at a friend's house. But yeah, oh, gosh. Um, 
But yeah, even like, still, just cool, uh, I, I, I want to offer condolences to anybody who actually had to watch Diamonds Are Forever because just and anyone who came into contact with me in the twenty four hours surrounding either side of me having <laughs> consumed that media, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, people watched, people listened to that podcast episode. I think people sort of somewhat enjoyed it. I hope we told a very cautionary tale of not yeah. willingly watching Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah, like it was another case Skip of it. this podcast. Watched it so you don't have to. Please fucking don't watch this. Um, and and here we are. And here's the thing that I and I've been and we've been mentioning this for weeks now, episode upon episode, is that fuck Roger Moore makes you know. I mean, Sean Connery makes Roger Moore look like the most innocent little you know playground toddler. Yeah, it makes <laughs> like, him look like a hotel concierge. Yeah, that's right. You know, even when he's womanizing with his magnetic watch that can unzip the the dress and it's just like you you kind of just go huh that's cute look look um, the opening scene with roger the first time we see him we've seen like a fair chunk of movie before that but the first time we see him in that whole opening scene in his house it's just a textbook hey this guy is is clearly not sean connery he is yeah. not as physically intimidating but oh boy does he make up for it and then some with charm? He's the charm. He is the charm master. He is. I feel, and I feel like, does this, is this the start of that element of bond? Because I feel like, well, I don't know that we have, we've watched those Connery, the Connery films mm. retrospective of, of, of through, you know, we understand that since then we've had, you know, Dalton Brosnan, yeah. Um, Craig, and you know we're and and obviously Roger Moore, and so we're seeing all these things. We're like, yeah, but but was this? I feel like it's really amplifying that part of the character. Yes, I agree that previously was not amplified, but I assume was there in the books. Just perhaps was no. somewhat subdued with Connery, no, or is this a not, is not this an introduction of a new kind of Bond mechanic that is really much more? featured in the films only and not the book it's it's really it is just it is just that perfect case of we talked about it a little bit when when lazenby came in but it really is just the element of james bond is bigger than one person and james bond can sort of configure to be to work with different kind of actors and their their talents right james bond in the books is not is not is 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 very distant from from the roger moore bond purely because they never talk about him as like this, this charming man. The only allure really comes from his, his handsomeness and his attraction to women and the vice versa. Roger brings this element of just universal charm. Like when he talks to, he does a lot of talking in this movie and it's like never threatening. There's, there's so much exposition in this movie. Like there's a, there's one of my favorite examples of it later on towards the third act is when he's being shown the alligator farm by all of Mr. Mm. Big slash Kananga's henchmen and the claw guy. Mm. And never once do you think, oh, he's going to fight his way out of this per se. Because he's mm. just walking around, being charming, being witty. You think, obviously, James Bond has to escape this precarious situation. But it's completely evident that it, he will not muscle his way out, per se. And I think that's an element that really is 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 very clear in Roger's entire run and very impressively off the cuff here. I agree. Um, there's so much 
this film is totally so strange though. Um, mm. It really like flips around from that opening sequence with the funeral. Yeah. Um, you know, it's whose funeral? Yours. Your, <laughs> it's, it's very, yeah. The tone, that, that tone is interesting. Cause it's like, well, you just like, I know that we're dealing with crazy bond film shit. So it's like anything goes, but it's like, what all these cunts fucking work for Kananga? Yeah. Like what the Apparently, fuck? Kananga has almost the entire just owns the city. population of, of of New York, New Orleans, the Caribbean. That man has a big payroll, apparently, which we learn huge payroll in a very profitable business. Until it is, yeah. but you know, we'll get to logistics at some point. He, the tone is like. Because the thing is, the really interesting thing is, and I think this is why they chose this to be the first Roger Moore film. Because obviously the the film order and the book order are completely separate. There's no continuity between any of them, at least not yeah. a very hard continuity. Until, you know, some elements here, which is which is wild, and we'll get to that later. But Live and Let Die is the second book after Casino Royale. In terms of book chronology, this is the earliest event in Bond's history, right? Mm. Even though in the film it takes place later due to, again, some wild continuity picks that we'll talk about. But this book is very is very interesting if we look at it as the Bond sequel that it is in both cases, right? It's a story... I think it's no coincidence that this was Roger's first film. And honestly, I think it would have been... Lazenby's if they hadn't had to pay off what they set up in in You Only Live Twice, right? Mm. It shows off a various amount of locations. I think I think one of the things that quite a various, yeah. I mean, much better than fucking like Las Vegas. It's true. (laughs) It was still America, but it was just it was just done in a very just not. It's not great. No, it's not great. But it was, you know, live and let die here. We have some very interesting, obviously we have two very historically rich locations in America. Well, one historically rich and one obviously being one of the biggest metropoles in civilization. Um, but then we have all of the plot stuff of, 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 of all the voodoo in the Caribbean islands. And that is, that is plucked straight from the book. Absolutely. And I think it's one of the things that gets lost in, in some Bond films sometimes is Ian Fleming specifically not to give a whole history lesson about Ian Fleming, but he is a man who is very, um, very inspired and very, he's a fan of, of culture, like of, of just of other cultures, not in like a, Oh, this is pretty. This is, uh, I, I call it, I call it the, the non-British colonialism interest. Like he's never mm. interested in places to be like, Oh, here's how they live apart from us, the Brits. It's a very this is this is an interesting way in which this civilization sort of runs, if that makes sense. Which I think is weird because in this movie we 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 get both. We get a very strange yeah. holiday esque depiction of the yeah. Of the, it's pretty. It's pretty bizarre. It's pretty. <laughs> it's, it's pretty fifty year old white people best, holiday, and at its poor as at its worst it's i don't know a bit problematic i mean is it problematic is i think it, I, I think it's, it's i think it's i think it's i think it's like selectively like it's problematic by design like they're literally going oh, there's an example we're talking about specifically of this 
uh, a fake dance ceremony that is meant to be depicting some ritual on the island, but is just literally being done while dinner is being served to all these middle-aged white people on holiday. And they're like, Ooh, check out this dance we've prepared. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that scene. Yeah. That was weird. I didn't like that. Well, that's, Um, that's the thing that is juxtaposed with, you know, all those other, all those other elements. So I think it is, I think it is probo, but by design for them to be like, hmm. yeah, look at, look at all these people. They don't suspect a thing. Meanwhile, James Bond knows there's some actual strange things happening on this island. And, yeah, yeah, this this movie basically canonizes magic. Yeah, um, I mean that guy's still alive at the end. The, yeah, Bar- <laughs> Baron Sandby, who is introduced as a as a meme character or a setup. Yeah, That's bizarre. I mean, I'm for it in a way, but it's kind what of what did you? It's strange. What did you? Th- yeah, what what I loved is the constant. Um, the constant gags of like hidden floors and like fake walls and trap doors and all of that bullshit that was happening. Like Spinning that was doors, great. Like, floors. With a you huge, name it, they've got it. Not a very big Q presence in this film. None. Um, there's no, there's no Q scene at there's all. There's no Q. Yeah. Cool. Which is cool. Cause that makes up for that. It's like, where's the bond trickery? Well, it comes from, you know, it comes from this. Yeah. They only um, ever set up the watch and, and the watch is one of those, I I think I talked about it. I don't know which episode, but I've definitely talked about how the ideal Bond gadget should be an opportunity for um, an opportunity for for plot stuff to happen, not less a checklist. Oh, here's a, a device that you'll need for this one specific scene, and we'll just wait for that one yeah. specific scenario. To yeah, come yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the watch does that. There's even the bit where he you think, oh, he's going to use the watch to get the boat to escape. And it just doesn't work. And he's like, well, well, yeah. Next idea. <laughs> which is such a great, which is such a great um, foil for that as a trope. Mm. Um, it's such a great way of playing with that. Look, this was, this was fine. I, I found it a bit exhausting. Yeah, like he will keep dying from the same, um, the same little conceits of like whose funeral it is. People get like, dropped in the funeral. Yeah. Yeah, people being disappeared. He keeps because I found it hard to like sustain like, to, <laughs> to to sustain the belief that um, the entire fucking city um, slash cities because he's got the cabbie in New York. Yep, that then appears somewhere else. That appears in New Orleans. Yeah, then he's in New Orleans. I mean, I guess that they're like you know, it's just that Something whole thing. Of, like, the they're always watching chain. him, and they're always yeah. one step ahead. But it's just like, man, how many of these fucking gangsters can be working for this guy like it's a bit ridiculous evidently well i mean they say that he has the second biggest heroin operation on the some big metric bigger than a country what's the biggest that's the whole that's the whole plot he's like we're gonna we're gonna we've been stockpiling all this extra heroin that we're just gonna give away for free and put my competitor out of business it was very I, the business legitimate was questionable. Yeah, that's right. But that's right. That's right. I will agree. This film, I think this one was definitely longer than I thought it would be, and I think that definitely sunk in when we get to the boat chase. You remember <laughs> the boat sequence? Yes. 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 When yes. it started, I was like, "All right." 
Bond boat sequence. I loosely remember this. I'm sure it'll be your normal five to five, seven minute, big, big effect midpoint somehow. And um, we'll just watch Bond do some cool action shit. Oh, yeah, no, this was mega long. Um, this was unironically and... 20 minutes and it has B and C plots. <laughs> there was a point where I was like, um, oh, they just did this to pad out the runtime. They had to make this two hours on the dot. And so they were like, let's take this five minute boat chase and make it 20 minutes. What's the next film after this? The Man with the Golden Gun. Yeah. Um, I remember... I remember which this boat scene this which because seen. I've seen yeah because in the man with the golden gun mm. the fucking yokel cop the yokel deputy J. sheriff J. whatever his name comes back yep. and he's like oh it's you I you funny all right let's 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 <laughs> let's preface this one thing um we are we are all for equality on this podcast we do not believe in discrimination except for white America we will bully the fuck out of you. Yeah, go away. J.R. Pepper <laughs> speaks with his fucking tongue in the side of his mouth and is constantly spitting. Why was this was an interesting character? How? Why? He's not in the book. I can tell you that. I don't understand why the filmmakers add a character like that. I do. It adds nothing to the film. I I know why, but um, that that's part of a bigger point. I'll talk about in the in the, in the latter in that. Is it about mark about market? Yes. And something we'll see a lot in the Connery, uh, not the Connery, the Moore era. But that boat chase, just by design, it feels like the fucking Blues Brothers, but without the punchline or the frenetic energy. Because then there's another boat chase in the fucking next film. Oh, talk about which this. is the whole no. joke. It's like, which is like, then they, well, we're doing it again. Like, And then there's the same B character we'll that get, appears. We'll get to the, we'll get to the next <laughs> film. In the next film's episode, talk about this. I know, I know, chase. but I'm just saying, steal, as a ridiculous thing, they steal like, four boats. Motherfuckers keep losing their boats, crashing them under the side, and going, Time to get a new boat. James Bond included. Why was it so long? <laughs> I don't know. Is, it, only is so- it a case of, like, let's see if we can do it, like, at the time audience, or is it just be like, Fucking, we're slapping this up? It, like, I'm, and I, well, you said that. No pun intended. The Bond franchise does use opportunity where they can for spectacle, right? Like, I was reminded this week that um, Spectre has the, and I still believe current standing world record for the biggest explosion in film history. Where? Where was that in Spectre? Do you remember when they're escaping Blofeld's big desert crater? Oh, yeah. They, and it blows up at the end for seemingly no reason. I don't know. That's the biggest explosion in cinema history. And they did that in wow. one take where they were like, all right, uh, Daniel, Leah, uh, step onto this platform. Look out there. Big explosion. Go off. Look back to each other. Um, let's go, guys. One and done. For no reason. For no, like, plot reason at all. In, it, did Deacons shoot Spectre? No, because Deacons was... No. Busy shooting mm-hmm. something else. Something else. I think it was whatever Cohen Brothers film was happening at the time. Was he shooting two, True Grit? No, no, no. Because True Grit's from 2010. It was 2015. Okay. So it would have been Hail Caesar? Was he shooting Hail Caesar? He was shooting something with the Coens because I guess they, I didn't, they I didn't have like Deacon's precedent. I watched that the other day. How was it? Didn't like you it. You talking about True Grit or Hail Caesar? Hail Caesar. I've still never seen it. I've got the poster for it. 
which is the trailer looked fucking fantastic. The trailer was like, this is a classic Coen Brothers caper. And I was, we watched it. And I was like, ah, it just didn't, it just didn't get me anywhere. It just didn't take me anywhere. Pause. Let's make this a little Cohen corner. Um, I saw on SBS World Movies, they were playing um, Intolerable Cruelty. Which I- You know what? What? Names like that, film names like that, mm. where both words of the title have too many syllables yeah. annoy me. Because it just makes me think of like the writer's room thinking about it and it and 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 going, this is what this is bang, like this is a hit. Like look at this. And like, no, like like mate, if my if my three year old can't say the title of your film. Yeah. I think you must or have at been- least give it a red hot crack. I mean like no, like it's just a bit weird. I think someone like doesn't- you must have been on the board because I found out that the Australian or whatever, some other territories just renamed it and released it as divorce lawyer. Yeah, I'd go see that. You'd go see that over Intolerable. <laughs> I'd go see that. I'd go see who directed Intolerable. The Coen Brothers. The Coen Brothers. That's why I brought it I'd up. I'd go see it. Yeah. Okay. So because I haven't seen it. Um. Sorry. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. It's. It's. it's I, 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 didn't, just, I haven't seen it. It's just Catherine Zeta-Jones and um George Clooney being cute, and they're uh she's a serial marriage and divorcer, and he's a divorce attorney, and they fall in love and hijinks. Oh. I. Yeah, like I think I keep seeing. It's one of those quirky Cohens. It's it's a quirky. Yeah, I, I'm not into that. I'm into like why. Yeah, I I just don't understand why films like that exist. Uh, that the Coen Brothers made. I'm like, no, that's a film that like. <laughs> oh, now, who are we gonna beat? Who's, yeah, who's come on, you take your who's shot, Pete. Blood's in the water. Who you going for? Who direct? Who directed what I thought that? Because I haven't seen it. I'm sure it's <laughs> great. I, I'm, but I'm like, who? The, when you have a film that has that many syllables across both words in the title, and it's a two-word title, and it stars Catherine Zeta-Jones and George Clooney, is the title? What's the? What's the poster? Are they like back to back? Like I think they're face the to camera face. With a funny, actually, I think they're face, they're face to, to face, face. Actually, I'll 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 I'll, I'll describe um, it for you. I'll pull it up and describe it for you right now. Fucking find this. This is this. Welcome to what? And can, can we just take a second? Pause. Pause. Yeah. Why? Why is this the first Cohen corner? I mean, like, come <laughs> it on. took us this long. <laughs> it took us talking about a boat no, chase no, no. scene. It took. But it, it's like when we have such a smorgasbord to choose from and the first fucking Cohen Corner is intolerable cruelty. It was on SBS World Movies. What can I say? <laughs> okay, they whatever. They played, um, they played, um, uh, uh, what's that other Cohen? No, they were just playing True Grid after that. And I was like, ooh, Cohen Marathon. I'm not staying <laughs> if up. It's not a Cohen, if it's not a Cohen where I can tune into Team Deacons and have him be like, you know, I I didn't bring any track to the shoot because I just never do any tracking shots. Well, let's, and uh, let's, and let's, the first the first thing of the film is a twelve foot tracking shot. I mean, bro, it was amazing. Get shot, get <laughs> talking about Fargo, and yes. it's just like, oh my god, keep talking. I could listen to Roger and James Deacons yeah, reading the fucking phone. Guess, I mean, guess, guess who? Guess who shot Intolerable Cruelty? Did he shoot it? And an email. Hey, I'd really love to hear about the Intolerable Cruelty episode. Okay, tell me about it. Well, I, I've never heard about it on this podcast. So it's yeah, clearly, I mean, it was, clearly hey, an, abora- it was an aberration. Well shot. I will say that. 
Yeah, yeah, cool. It just it strikes me as something that not any of those people would be involved in. Uh, the Coens love their quirky comedies, you know. Like I, I get it. I guess you got to unwind somehow. I think it. I think it does great. I, personally, I, I like it a lot. Two thousand three. Imagine, yeah. Because imagine, like, if you always make like this is what I feel like about most directors, right? I feel you got to show like okay. some some wider repertoire to be like. Yo, I can make comedies. I can make drama, because you got to be able to understand the whole human experience, right? Like, a, like a, like I think it's a lot of people think that like who's a hack director, but like like an art hack. Uh, uh, oh, I know who I'm gonna bully. Um, uh, Tom Hooper, the guy who directed Cats and Les Mis and The King's Speech. Yeah, right? okay, 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 absolute okay. hack. Because fucking. You can't make too many movies like Les Mis and uh, The King's Speech where you look like a dour fuck, and they're like, "Oh, well, you're the you're the uh, you're the musicals guy, so p- pick something fun to make the people relate to you." And you pick Cats, and you make that fucking, and then and then your career is <laughs> yeah, because you mistreated all those poor fucking CGI. Wow, because you couldn't do real fur on set. Fuck that. Oh no, it's got to look like that. Yeah. Tom Tom Hooper is an anti friend of the show. We got to start coming up with that list too. We've got Rachel <laughs> McAdams in the Hall of Fame, the blessed the blessed ones, and then we come up with like the shot list who we, who we're always taking shots at. Um, speaking of taking, are we going to watch? Uh, speaking of Rachel Adams, I feel like we need to at some point in the next few months watch, um, the Time Machine one with is it Domino Gleason? Oh, about time, about time. I covered the time cupboard. I remember watching that and getting pretty emotional. Um, like, yeah, it was like it was a good time. I think that film for me, like, that was a fun. Well, I saw a good take on on Twitter, which was like, why does why does Rachel McAdams always get involved in like all these time travel films? But it's she's never the one with the time machine. Like, bitch, give Rachel McAdams a fucking time machine. That's true. <laughs> like, Is she in the? Was a good tweet. What, what what are her other time traveling movies? Is I don't know. It's too. I don't know. Oh, I've I've Some only seen About Time once, and it was cuddled up on a couch with a girl in high school, and I believe me was not thinking about the movie the entire time. <laughs> Don't make that noise. Speaking of kissing girls, how, Roger Moore. Is that how normal people? Do Roger Moore, <laughs> the absolute stunner. Let's look at hey Jane Seymour. Friend of the show. Yeah, pretty great. Pretty alum, show alum. Show alum. We've, we talked about her quite recently on, 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 on Wedding Photo Hangover. You can listen to our episode at Wedding Photo Hangover where we talk about wedding crashes. Um, Your audio is so much better now. Please pick up the mic and talk into it. That was me <laughs> physically leaning. I asked you if the audio was fine and you said yes. It's fine. It's okay. I did a bit um, where I leaned right into it and I was doing this, bro. bro. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Um, Jane Seymour, hey, look, if you hear this, um, we forgive you for your sexual assault of Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson. Yeah, all right, let's talk about, certain certain depictions of culture may have been a little problematic. Was it as problematic as... Roger, and this was this is how this is a testament to how charming Roger Moore Moore is. I had to stop as I was typing the note. I realized how fucked it was that he cheats out. He 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 card cheats 
Jane Seymour's character out of her virginity. Is that really? Is that probably yes? Really, that was the bit in the movie. Oh, it's been a few months since I've seen it. Yeah, he. All right, Jane Seymour's character Solitaire works for Mister Big, and she's his his personal tarot card reader. She's very good at predicting. Oh yeah, right? she can't, and she has to. But because she, but she, she will otherwise, if she, you know, if someone, if she has sex with anyone, yeah. She loses her power. Oh, and, I, and, you know and, what? Though I was kind of like, yeah, okay, he's cheated her out of it, and that was that was probo. Um, but I was also like, up against the whole thing of, but then it's fucking probo where we've got this thing that the woman can't, like the woman has no agency and can't do this, otherwise her powers are destroyed. So I was, I was like, I was like, fucking, she can, even though it, she can also have autonomy over herself if she wants, and you know. Fuck the big bad yeah. guy. This this was you know, the question. He can get this stuff. was the question though, because it's set up. This is the weird thing where we need to talk about magic in the James Bond franchise, which yeah, does not appear which again. Is now canon, but no, it doesn't appear again. Appear again. Why, but it is again. Why this film is so strange? Very present here because James Bond. All right, so let's let's talk about the cards. She's very good at she's. Let's assume that Solitaire is is magic, right, and can see the see through the cards, right. She successfully calls out a lot of things in the beginning of the movie, so I'm inclined to believe it. Um, when she meets Bond for the first time in the lair underneath the the Harlem um, fillet of Soul Cafe, mm-hmm. and he gets lucky, she she stitches him up. He she does I think it was like pick a card, and he picks the fool, and it's like ha ha, got him. But then he, through luck, as, as it often is with James Bond picks the lover's card. He's like, oh, maybe us perhaps. And she like freaks out. Cause she's like, fuck the card said it. Mm. Which, all right. So, which means, is it actually a meta commentary of like the fact that it's all bullshit and like, anyway, well, this is the thing, right? So James Bond later st- somehow finds a whole deck of cards, which I'm assuming he had printed in the boat. Um, of 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 the lover's cards and tricks her into believing that the cards uh, told the truth again, and they fuck. And then she's like, uh, "Because I fucked, um, I've lost my magic." And I'm like, "Well, this would probably be the part where we find out that the magic was bullshit and whatever." And all of the decks of cards were rigged because James was just playing the game. Yep. Um. But the next, like everyone, I mean, I I would still he okay. And and here's the thing that I think you can simultaneously be of the position mm. if we're getting if we're going deep on this if we're going deep on problematic shit i mean we might that, as well yeah, you can i think you can we might i mean we might as well i think you can hold the position mm. that she that that he rigged a deck of cards knowing that she would that any card he would draw is the lovers and that he would be able to sleep with her they would be able to sleep together yep and then you can also like have on the other hand is yeah, but it, it's a rigged deck of cards, and she, this is this weird game that she's in on this whole con working for this bad guy. And if she didn't want to sleep with James Bond, like she could just choose True. not to. She, she does. She does as as you know. He's a handsome man. He he. She so she I'm kind of just like, uh, but yeah, I I can can I hold both positions? Well, here's the thing. Here's the movie law, right? Here's the movie. Here's what happens. The and I mean, if you're time- listening to this podcast long enough, you know that we're not we're not just here to give, 
you know, we're not here to give Jimmy a fucking dog, you know, free ride. Like heard, we're not going. If you've heard this, if you've listened to literally any other of the Bond franchises, believe me, we we call out the cooked cooked shit. But no, like listen, I don't even have like that big of a problem with it. But the thing is, right, it's just a matter of movie logic because the next time we see the cards in use is Bond is captured, Solitaire is back with Mister Big slash Kananga. And he's like, give me, give me Bond's watch. I'm going to say the serial number on the back of Bond's watch. And you have to use the cards to figure out if I'm lying or not. That's how I'll know if Bond mm. fucked you and you lost your magic. <laughs> Sorry. I just, again, I caught but that's not how the, saying, the, I caught the cards can't be that specific. I caught myself <laughs> saying the sentence, James Bond fucked you. Therefore you've lost your magic powers. <laughs> Which is, again, a thing in this movie. To which he <sighs> has a 50-50 guess, and then it is revealed... Yeah, she has a 50-50 guess. He's like, uh, it's true. And he's like, okay, go, take Bond to my allocator farm. And then he reveals, uh, no, uh, you got it wrong. There was no serial number on the back. Uh, we're going to kill you in this ceremony. So that means by yeah. all accounts... <laughs> At least in terms of movie logic, magic is real, and Bond made Solitaire lose her magic through the power of James Bond's boner. I mean, it's one of the weirder films that we've come across in this journey. Mm. I'll give, I'll say that. Yeah. Um, I don't have, I don't have really anything to add. And in fact, I, I searched briefly there for some notes. Um, oh. and, and it appears I did not make any, and that's okay. We still got a forty-five oh, oh, episode of no, no. I've got to talk about I've Bond thesis hats on, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, have you got some Bond thesis points oh, to bring up? <laughs> maybe this is the biggest. This is the big. Obviously, Rog to this day has the longest run of films, seven films, and we will get to all of them. But the biggest thing that the Roger Moore films do. All of them. It's not present in... I mean, it's not present to this extent in any other of any actor's run. But Rog, for some reason, has this unprecedented run of trend chasing in cinema, right? From Roger Moore's first film, this one, Live and Let Die, all the way to his seventh and final, A View to a Kill, there is a cinematic trend being chased. I have no idea why or how it was so prevalent, but allow me to talk about two big cinema trends that this film specifically chases. Mm-hmm. Off you go. The opening. Go for it. The opening in New York City. Um, gritty American muscle car chase. Specifically. The scene of Bond being transported to Felix for the first time. <laughs> Our fourth new Felix in as many movies. <laughs> But keep this Felix actor in mind because we'll we'll get to that. Very much a, a homage, stylistically shot, very similar to a lot of like American chase movies at the time. Movies like Bullet, Dirty Harry, French Connection, uh, uh, The Italian Job. Even if you want to take it out of America specifically, but like very much the sort of gritty American car chase style that appears again in the opening. And also you can see sort of influences of it in the 
earlier mentioned elongated boat chase, right? <laughs> yes. And that's just one thing. Look, uh, Diamonds Are Forever, you can probably make the argument for that too, even though obviously there weren't as many big hits around at the time of making that. But just, that's the thing. That's the, that's the smallest one. The second one and biggest one is the influence of the black exploitation genre throughout this film. Mm. Uh, black exploitation, obviously, being a term for the uh, lower, uh, the big trend in American film of the seventies. Um, you've got films like, oh, geez, uh, Dolomite, uh, a lot of Pam Grier's work. Just all of these often like high action, lower budget, but still very. Uh, the stuff that Quentin Tarantino watches in a dark room on his own and thinks, oh man, this is the coolest shit ever. Which it is in some Yeah, okay, ways, right. But there's just a lot of a lot of it in influence in this Bond film from the music that is a lot more, uh, how would you call it? Like a lot more like higher horn based than it is in, in other films. It's not your typical John Barry sort of thematic string and horn sections. It's very yeah. I only remember insofar as those all those funeral scenes <laughs> because that's the that's their music, right? And so they're setting it there. Um, but then, yeah, I, I I guess I never thought of that. Well, this but, well, this is this a is a score not 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 created by John Barry himself. Um, I'm blanking on the okay, name of whoever made the score, but it's one of the very few cases where the the regular Bond composer of the time. Uh, isn't available and it does happen it's sporadically throughout different points um and then of course we have we have the character of um rosie the the cia slash uh kananga dr big mr big um very much designed to emulate the 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 pam greer-esque um action female it's just it's 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 clear and I guess you can make an argument for, obviously, the American influences from the book, and I'm, and I'm going to tell you a very funny anecdote at, at the end of it. Um, so it's obviously in the script by design, but the fact that they lean so heavily into it, I think is really interesting and is and is not the last time I will talk about it at all through, through Roger's run. So just the yeah you can see sort of the cinematic parallels of other big films of the time sort of interwoven in the bond style and at its best which i guess i think this is i think this film may be the trend chasing interwoven at its best i know we're about to go into trend chasing being done at its worst or second worst but <laughs> next week, and then definitely it's worst by Star Wars. I mean, Moonraker. Um, <laughs> but it's it's such a fascinating thing that we'll be able to look at over the next few films. I think there is not many people in the world of podcasts who have such a thesis on the James Bond universe as yourself, Dominic. They're all too scared. So They're all too scared to talk they- about the real titan of cinema. <laughs> I want to talk about I mean, and it is. blue in the face. No, not me. Um, shots fired at all your 
podcast making buddies from film school. <laughs> they were talking yeah, we're gonna, about. We're, we're only going to do, um, do a podcast with a film if it's been in the oh, 101 films I'm you've got to watch before the, you die. I'm waiting for the DM from one of them going, hey, heard the Bond episode just on a whim, randomly listened to it. <laughs> Fuck are you doing? They started doing Lord of the Rings this week. Oh wow, such groundbreaking material! Uh, I, I I don't want to do a I don't want to do a Lord of the Rings episode of our show because all I'd say is, man, it's pretty fucking good. It's a good film, pretty pretty, and pretty epic and scene. <laughs> I agree, I love it, but still, like, um, Howard Shaw. I mean, what a great what a great soundtrack as well. But anyway. I feel I feel like have we got any housekeeping to do? Um as we tie up this episode. Um yeah, I got one as I was just mentioned, as I just teased earlier, the the audio book there's there's a great collection of the the, the books, the the Ian Fleming novels on Audible, read by different high profile British actors, you know. You can listen to David Tennant read on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, uh Jason Isaacs read Goldfinger, I believe. Uh, Dan Stevens to I love out. Jason Isaac. It's a great collection of those books, right? But the second one, Live and Let Die, read by franchise <laughs> alum, who we'll be talking about, obviously, at some point, Rory Kinnear, huh. reads, um, reads, reads Live and Let Die. And I don't know who gave the direction in the audiobook read to do all the African-American characters. Oh, no. Oh, I don't know what it is about audiobooks. You have to have the one person read, apparently, but oh boy, did I'm sure the conversation in that studio go something like, listen, man, it's not going to sound good. Just suck it up. Get through it quick. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Very, very fascinating to listen to. I'll just leave that at that. Live and let die. How do you rate it? Uh... I rate it two, three, three, three fines out of five. It's a pass. It's a pass. There are there are better. It's a three out of there five. There are better Roger Moore movies, and there are worse Roger Moore movies. But as far as it goes, being the first one, I'll fucking take it over Sean Connery any day. Um, and with that, you can find us on the socials. Hang on, we do have actual podcasting. Notes. We do have podcasting uh, housekeeping to do. Do we have? Oh, do we have podcasting? Okay, we held a competition over the past few weeks, didn't we? We did to uh, give away a, a beautiful Coles DVD copy of Pokemon Detective Pikachu, a movie I hold very dearly. What was the competition? Um, describe your favorite. Pokemon Name your favorite why? Pokemon of all time. Is that right? Who's Name your, your favorite, favorite Pokemon, Morgs. I don't. I don't know. It's very. Vanilla. I keep. I, I ask like you this on a on very Squirtle. Yeah, Wartortle, Blastoise, the the Blast Boys. If you will. probably because like that was the one I picked when I first played like Pokemon Blue yep. on my friend's Game Boy in nineteen ninety. Whenever it was that you weren't alive. Ninety eight <laughs> came out in Australia. Yeah, basically. Basically. My favorite is uh, Starly. You can Google this now. It's a bird Pokemon from uh, Gen 4, mm. 2007. Mm. Such a cute little bird. Evolves into Staravia Star and then into Staraptor, who, who are even cooler bird boys. 
Star Raptor. I do know that Pokemon. He's a for cool some looking reason. Pokemon. Not featured in Pokemon Detective Pikachu, but we asked fans of the show. Give us a give us a give us your favorite Pokemon, and um, I'll pick the winner. And um, if anybody picks Klefki, the objective worst Pokemon of all time, don't at me. Just a motherfucking rack of keys. Um, banned. I don't know from banned from what. I don't know, but just banned. But of the of the few but very heartfelt selections, there is a winner. <laughs> I award our copy, our Coles copy of Pokemon Detective Pikachu to Dylan Del Vescovo. Everybody give him a clap. Dylan, DM us your P.O. box or we'll reach out to you and we'll um, we'll send you this goddamn copy of Pokemon Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu. I almost wanted to withhold it from him because Del Mr. Del Vescovo ran roughshod on one of our other recent Facebook posts. Did you see this? No. Which one was this? We asked We asked the fans, you know, the Coles, Coles have brought the bargain wall back. We're for the people. And we thought, hey, we'll give it to you guys. See what you like. Pick it for us. This motherfucker saw a copy of Trolls <laughs> and mass asked his friends and family to like the post. Even after we publicly pseudo-agreed to review SpongeBob SquarePants the movie. This motherfucker just stormed in oh. with the troops to pick oh, trolls. So I want to ask you now on the spot, your choice, Sophie's choice, if you will. What are we reviewing next? Will it be trolls or will it be SpongeBob? I feel like the more entertaining film to watch will be trolls. I feel like. That's not entirely true, but it is your as pick. In, as in the more entertaining film to review. Uh, look, it's your pick. <laughs> Next week we will talk about Trolls. Then we'll talk about James and, Bond. And, and then, then we'll talk, and about, then we'll talk about And then we'll talk about SpongeBob. Because um, we, li- we love our I, fans. We love you all. The few of you that do uh, choose to listen during a global pandemic. Pretty, please tell your friends about this podcast. We love this. This is a very long-winded it, but you yeah, know, that's, that's what happens. Hey, hey Mr. Del Vescovo, boys haven't- if, if you didn't get every single one of those people that like reacted your pod to at least uh, your comment to at least listen to us, then we won't fucking send it. I might we send won't. you the empty box with a, with a note <laughs> attached saying, hey. With a little a little scraping of from, from Dom's grandparents' farm's fire pit a bit of coal in the DVD case, just a little scraping, just a little, just a little flat, just a little. I might send you the movie ticket for Bloodshot that I acquired the other night. The first time back in the movie theaters in months. How was, how was, how was 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 our boy? I tell you what, (laughs) it was the worst parts of, of the dark Knight and, and Robocop and total recall but it was all the best parts of a Vin Diesel movie. I tell you what, it's one I look forward to talking about on this podcast later. Huh. That's how, that's what kind of, that's what kind of movie we're talking about here. Um, we're going to wrap this up until next time you can find us on social media, all the things within the show notes. My name is Roberts Morgan Roberts. My name is Fitzgerald, Dominic Fitzgerald. Mm-hmm.